Welcome back to itsneworleans.com's happy hour. Coming to you live today, as always, from the Collins Hotel at 3811 St. Charles Avenue in beautiful uptown New Orleans. This, the Collins Hotel is a great place to come have a drink, like we're doing here if you're already in New Orleans. If you're coming to stay in New Orleans, come stay at the Collins. They have beautiful rooms, and you can sit here looking out over the streetcar rattling by under the giant oak trees between the beautiful white columns at the Columns Hotel. Check it out from our website before you do anything. My special guests here today, by the way, I should tell you my name is Grant Morris. My special guests today are Freddie Omar, the king of Latin music in New Orleans. Is that correct, Freddie? Uh, well, people say that, yeah, popular, <laughs> but uh, it's weird to believe. It's weird to, it's weird to be king. <laughs> yes, I thought yes. it's good to be king. Uh, not even Prince Williams is getting married tomorrow. Prince William is going to be the king, but until then, you're the king. Our other guests are Marcel Rivera. Marcel, you're, are you a political activist? Is that correct? Uh, more like community activist. Community uh, activist. Everyone's political. So you're know. a troublemaker. <laughs> more than that. More than trouble. Okay. We'll get on to that. And Carolina Gallup, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, Gallup? Carolina Gallup. Now, Gallup is uh, sort of an Englishy sounding name. Yes. Um, well, my, I'm from Honduras. Yeah. Um, born and raised. Um, my father was from Jamaica. My grandfather's from Jamaica, and that's where Gallup came from. Um, my grand, my grandmother, and my grandfather from Jamaica, and my um, my dad's mother. Uh, he was born out of wedlock. Was um, Latin woman from uh, Nicaragua. Okay. Yeah. I'm, are you guys following that? It's quite confusing. I'm lost. <laughs> I didn't know your life was a little I know. Like I'm completely lost, and I haven't even had anything to drink. Yeah, he was a Sandina. <laughs> I'm a Sandinista. Oh, really? I don't know if I should say that out loud, but yeah. But I don't, don't, I don't think you said it out loud. I, I could have uh, just taken up it. Uh, Carolina Sandina. <laughs> you should be called Carolina Sandina. That's a much more That's exotic like sounding name. Yeah, I might change it. Now, my fashion design name is Carolina Gallup, so I better keep that for now. But you're a fashion designer as well as, the, as, well as known as the Mouth of the South. Right. I, um, I do events and promotions. And we have uh, the, the other Mouth of the South is back in our studio is Mitch Foreman. Mitch, good to hey. see you. Good to see you, except... The I strange thing is that Mitch goes by the name Mouth of the South as well. No, <laughs> really? Ma- no. Isn't is that, that crazy? Is that your what company name, Mitch? No, we just call him that. Oh, <laughs> well, After that's midnight. what they called me, so I, must, I just named my company Mouth of the South. How did you, uh, <laughs> who, who called you that? Um, well, somebody said a long time, before, about 14 years ago, I said, God, I wonder which, what I should call my company. And they're like, well, you are the Mouth of the South. And I went, that's it. I am the mouth of the South. So, <laughs> And my sister used to call me Channel 5 News when I was a little girl because I used to tell mom all the time. So, Really? You uh, have yeah. trouble keeping your mouth shut? Well, as an adult now, I control a little better. <laughs> has, that been, has that been something you've worked on or just you've just grown up? I haven't grown up yet, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> You're working on being keeping secrets? Oh, yeah. I just got back from Boston. My mother's birthday was on the 17th, and they were going to throw a surprise party. And my mom's like, I hate surprise parties. I'm like... You better brace yourself because we're giving you one on Sunday. <laughs> well, there you go. That's exa- that's a good object lesson there and keeping quiet. I told her. Did she enjoy it? Why is she living in Boston? Well, um, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Boston. Um, that's I don't understand why people move from Caribbean warm weather to cold New England 
weather. Right. But, you know. That is hard to understand why anyone lives in the cold. <laughs> it's where we're called. My grandmother, when she came to this country, and it was good for me educational-wise, and just, it was really good for me. I mean, Boston is a really beautiful town. It's just cold. <laughs> so your grandmother came from? My grandmother came from Honduras si- first and sent for my mom and her siblings and we stayed behind because uh, my dad, of course, Latin men don't like to let go of their children. So he didn't want to send, to send us to America until we were teenage girls. And he's like, okay, take her. Take so, all the girls. We don't want, I don't want them. So you, grew up, so you grew up in Honduras? Grew up in Honduras oh, okay. for 13 years. Okay, I'm, I'm completely lost. Okay. You guys, did you guys follow it? I thought you lived in Boston just from that last I was born and raised in Honduras when I was 13 okay. years old. Went to Boston. Uh, I went to Boston first, and then you found your way here. Finally, went you, to California. How, how did you get to New Orleans? Well, I I had a boyfriend in uh, in Boston who was moving to California and made me promise that I was going to move down and went, told him to go ahead. And once he left, I told him I wasn't going to come. And he said, "Well, you have to come. I'm going to come get you." So I'm like, "Well, I'll go," and because I hate earthquakes and all that jive. So when I did go down, and it was. So he Beautiful. Moved, he moved to New Orleans, you said. He did move to New Orleans from Boston to California. Okay. California to New Orleans. I moved here after living in L.A. for nine years. Okay. That's another more another wrinkle. <laughs> okay. So when did you actually arrive in New Orleans? And then we just 14 get, years get ago. off the whole thing. 14 years ago. 14 years ago. So I've been 1963. In New Orleans. Yes, I'm only 15 now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marcel, how did you get here then? With great difficulty. Really? <laughs> Oh. No, I got Did you here. swim? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Practically. Um, when? The first time I got well, here yeah, was, when did you uh, first get I was 16 years old. And how old are you now? Or is that a bad question? But no, no, not at all. I'm 62. 62. So mm-hmm. you've been here for 112 years as well. <laughs> not really. Not <laughs> in New Orleans all this time. Metric. Um, no, I've been to Europe. Most of my youth <laughs> was spent in Paris, in France, um, Barcelona, Spain, Amsterdam, Holland, London. So... Why would you end up in New Orleans after all these? I love New places? Orleans. New you Orleans love it better than Amsterdam and Barcelona and so on. New Orleans is a world-class city. It reminds know. me of of La Ceiba, doesn't it? A little bit. You ever been to La Ceiba? Mm. That's our. That's so one hometown. place he hasn't been. <laughs> Have you not been to La Ceiba? Where is that? La Ceiba is uh, La Novia de Honduras. It's a beautiful town, northern Honduras, next yeah. to Tela. Tela is beautiful. It's on the beach. You're all from, of it. Who's from Tela? You're from Tela, my yeah, son. I'm, I'm from Ceiba. Actually, you're from Ceiba. Actually, I'm from the jungle between Tela and Progreso from Maldives. Oh. Uh, I, I grew up there. I was you grew born up in the jungle? Yeah, I was born and raised in the jungle. I always had a monkey on my back, <laughs> monkey on my shoulders. I'll, actually, I'll you know, all, all the ca- literally, every kid had a monkey, and we we climbed coconut trees to get uh, the coconut bunches. Always had a machete. I never wore shoes or, or anything like that. No shirt. Is, is, this, I, is I, this true, by the way? I grew up think? every kid. You had a monkey. Yeah, a monkey. I had parakeets. Right, right, uh, but I, 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 I parakeets. <laughs> I climbed yeah. trees, yeah, and I had my machete, and I would take the. When I was seven years old, you know, I was taking coconuts to every person in my village. No kid died of gastroenteritis. That was the all the kids died in other villages, not in my village. Why? Because I took coconut milk to you every kid. You saved all the kids. I, I was a water boy. Many people did that. Mm-hmm. So we had the training not to drink the water in rainy season, mm-hmm. but okay. coconut milk. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So it was exciting times. Mm-hmm. 
That was exciting times. I mean, we had, we, 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 had, we had coconuts and pineapples and bananas and plantains and Aye, mangoes. You're plenty, me hungry. Plenty of, <laughs> we had mangoes, you know, mangoes galore. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was paradise. And did you have anything else? I mean, was there uh, like a... Uh, we had everything. We had, uh, people said we were poor, but I never felt mm -hmm. like it. We had a monkey, a we, machete. We had everything. Just <laughs> kill the monkey and eat <laughs> it. You'll be all right. And we had the stars and the moon and, and walking on the beach. I hear a song. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Freddie. Is there a song like this? The king. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The king of Latin jazz. Come on. There must be a song El with mono this. Mono and me back. Yeah. No. The moon. Las Palmeras. The, sp the stars and... <laughs> The monkeys <laughs> and, and, uh, and the parrots, <laughs> the coconuts. How did you grow, um, Freddie? Did you have any monkeys? Uh, I used to have actually like a tiger as a okay, little tiger. No, I'm believe. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and he ate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I'm actually from the capital city. So if you don't have such a thing. You're, a sophisticated. <laughs> you're sophisticated. <laughs> yes. You're not some guy with a pair of shorts and a machete climbing trees to chop down no, coconuts no, no. to save the village. <laughs> no. So how did you grow up in the in the, in the big city? I yeah, I grew up I grew up in uh, in uh, the capital city, and my family, um, you know, has a bakery and. Uh, you know, when you when you uh, when you work in a bakery, it's like long hours, you know. Oh, I can imagine. I don't know. Really. And uh, you know, sounds my, horrible my, already. My my, my no, it was fun. It was funny. Like people over there is like, uh, you know, like playing is is like time goes by easily because everyone teasing each other and uh, there is a lot of music in Honduras. It's like people. There is no such a like a uh, thing of uh, noise uh, uh, control, you know. Like uh, mm -hmm. everyone have boom boxes and, and you know it's music. Like uh, people play sort of music like loud it's like everywhere. Here. They'll everywhere. find a pot and pan and just start banging mm. on it and yeah. singing and <laughs> yeah. And this and, uh, is, is that true? Yeah. yeah, yeah. People are walking true. around banging pot and pans, yeah. climbing yeah. up the trees with the machete. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't know why you leave. It's I like Mardi Gras. Look, I swear to God, like uh, the. Uh, uh, when I grew up in the bakery, you know, like uh, it was a, a time when people from Tela and uh, and Seiba up north yeah. would go to the city. I don't know why, because yeah. they were in paradise, and all of a sudden they go to Tegucigalpa. Yeah. So in my my family, because they have a bakery, they would bake like uh, uh, special uh, pastries from uh, people from up north. They would go because we have a big oven. So well, they didn't make them up north. They didn't they make them all of the people from up north. They weren't putting people in the oven. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> making special so pastries for know. the people. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're all so hot. The <laughs> thing is, what do they like up north that they don't eat in Tegucigalpa? Uh, it's a different, a little kind of different culture. It's like uh, uh, Garifuna, a lot of Garifuna. There is like a tribe that speak their yeah. own language and they have their own mm. music. So mm -hmm. when they were waiting for the bread, they would like dance and play. Oh, I remember wow. that. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and they would dance, and it would be like the whole thing on the the time when they were waiting for their uh, bread. You know, and it's like it's it is weird too. It's not such a thing that where you know, like here, you waiting for whatever people they don't they just go. not really. <laughs> you don't wait here. It's at the stores. They don't, they don't have it. You go somewhere else. So uh, you were the only bakery in town there. And, 
uh, in the neighborhood, it was it was uh, I think it was another bakery, like maybe ten minutes from. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we have we have that, and uh, it is very everything is very informal, you know, like people just like loud and. Uh, is your family still there? Yeah, my family's still there. Still got the bakery. I, I still have the bakery. Yes, yes. Do you bake anything at home now? You know. I learned at a very early age, you know, when, uh, when I started, I started when I was seven years old. And I realized whatever I did, uh, if I learned something, it was some weird thing that if I learned something, that would be my duty. You know, like, uh, like my brother, he was very, like, inspired about, like, learning and stuff and all this. sudden, he was very young and he was running the whole bakery. And I didn't want to end up... Uh, um, as uh, working Baking. at the bakery, you'd rather be outside. So uh, yeah, I was like, and I realized very a very early age, and I was like, I'm just gonna be the assistant of everything. <laughs> Whatever they need <laughs> a hand, I'm gonna be, but I'm not gonna get into like the bread producing the whole thing. So I, you know, and uh, my brother, yeah, he he would he would run the whole thing. My and he was a younger brother, you know, he was like, in. Uh, um, yeah. Is he still so running it? Is he still? No, nah, no. Nah, he. What uh, does he do now? Uh, now he's more like uh, uh, he's running like a uh, uh, furnishing company. Furnishing company. Yeah, he, oh, he's more like a business guy. Like he just. Oh. What about your family, Marcel? Are they still in the jungle? <laughs> mm, not quite. Uh, my Where mother. My mother. We got to the city. We went to San Pedro Sula, the mm. second most important city in Honduras. Went to learn how to read and write Spanish and all that good stuff. You, weren't you, know? re- you didn't read and write when you were at the tree? Uh, not quite. We didn't need to. Right. And uh, we got out at six, seven years old. We went to the city. And uh, we were nine brothers and sisters. My father was an agricultural person. Although he did not own land, he was an expert at um, water irrigation systems and things like that. My mother was a flower shop, a flower girl. She sold flowers, you know, and she had a little shop in San Pedro. So we were nine brothers, and those two guys. Nine, nine brothers? Nine, nine brothers, and seven brothers and two sisters. And um, those, uh, my father and mother, with their income, they encouraged us to, uh, in academics and in sports. And so we, we got to schools like all of us, all nine of us. We ended up in Berkeley or Harvard. I ended up in Paris, in France, in uh, La Sorbonne. So we learned language. So all these, these nine kids, and they're all intelligent. Uh, no, we were. Everybody's intelligent. Uh, everybody's wow. gifted. Uh, we were just encouraged by these two average parents. Do you, uh, this fantastic set of parents. Do, do you believe that anybody could end up in Berkeley or Harvard? Given anybody, or, anybody, any, anybody, anybody could. Anybody, come. anybody. There are one. Freddie uh, Freddy is a prime candidate for, okay. for anywhere. We're from one of the poorest countries in the, con- in the world. No, but actually it's one of the richest corrupt politicians make it poor, yeah. but it's very, very wealthy. And where do, they, where do they get the money from that they hold on to it? Uh, I don't know. They hoard it, I guess. No, where do they yeah. get it from? What's the, what's uh, the we, economy? Uh, the economy is based on extreme wealth, like Tulane University in New Orleans. Pineapples, ba- coffee. Uh, it's based on Honduran money. We had a shrimp and gold and silver mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, mahogany. I mean, uh, that country has been exploited first by Spain for 300 years, then Great Britain, then American influence and American transnationals. You know, so it's extremely wise. And you're saying that it's funding Tulane University? Oh, it did. Samuel Semirate, he founded the United Fruit Company. Samuel Semirate is a mm-hmm. key funder 
of uh, Tulane University. You know, New Orleans is very linked to Honduras since the 1890s mm -hmm. when, the, um, when the banana companies were being established. Mm -hmm. Because of the port, because it was a big port here, and the bananas came here. Uh, As the entry port, the entry level, the entry uh, to America. New Orleans at the time was the gateway to the Americans. Right. I think Miami has taken that title from New Orleans. But New Orleans was extremely important culturally. New Orleans is like a Caribbean city, very mm -hmm. much like Jamaica or Dominican Republic or Honduras. You know, so we're very linked. And I think that's why they have one of the biggest populations of Hondurans here in Louisiana, is because of that. And We've got one of the biggest populations of Hondurans here in this room, actually, <laughs> <laughs> by, by sheer chance today. <laughs> so did you, did you decide to, to move here, Carolina, just decide that you'd had enough of, of living in California? Or? It was by fluke. I had um, my cousin worked at the House of Blues. They'd just come down from Boston. And um, House of Blues had just moved down here from Boston. And she called and said, oh, you have to come down to New Orleans. It's scary down here. And, uh, scary. And I know well, that would encourage that someone was about, to come down. Right. So I said, well, I'm not going down there. So the earthquake hit. It was the last big earthquake Los Angeles has had. And so I'm like, okay, I'll be there. So about a year, <laughs> year and a half later, it took me that long to leave L.A. I came to visit. And I got off the airplane. And I'm like, no way. Because people kept asking me to stay here. It was so amazing. All the locals were like, oh, you should move here. You should move here. You should stay here. And I'm like, I can't live here. This is like some of the, I mean. Well, you got off the plane and I hated it instantly. Is that what you're going to say? I didn't hate it. I liked the way the weather felt, but I didn't like the way it looked. Because remember, I grew up in Boston and I'd been living in California for well, so long. What's wrong with how it looks? It's well, I, w I didn't see uptown. So you just saw the airport. I saw it coming it from the airport. It doesn't all look like the airport. <laughs> And so I'm like, ooh, no. So then <laughs> I went back to L.A., and then I couldn't believe it. You only got as far as the airport? No, I stayed here for about two weeks, and then I started. I went back home to California, and I started to miss New Orleans. And I said, why am I missing that place? I don't even... And I missed it because it reminded me so much of Honduras in a lot of ways. And, and I'm like, well... It almost looks like a third world country, but it's America. So maybe I can live here. Yeah, I think it would be okay. So it has everything. <laughs> it has everything you want. It's America, and it's the third world. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, to me, so you're attracted to the third world. If you're from a, lived in big cities, you would know that when you come to New Orleans and you see like, you know, certain areas, you're like, oh my god, you know, it can be pretty intimidating. I drove up St. Charles for the first time, and I went. Oh, I like it here. I think I could live here. Maybe I'll live in that house over there one day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, but, you know, I ended up moving here, moving, like, right away within two months um, of going back to California. And, uh, and I love it. I just, I, you know, when I travel to go places, I'm always depressed because I feel like I'm leaving. I'm missing out on something every time I leave New Orleans. I'm like, you know, and Did it's really strange because I've never felt like that about anywhere else. So, so you're home here. <clears throat> I'm home. I think I'm... I'm going to die. I wanted to raise myself in California, but I'm going to die here in Louisiana. This is where I want to grow how old. Soon do you, how soon do you think that might be? Um, at least another 70 years. Another 70? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you're sort of looking after, you're looking after yourself? <laughs> We're pirates and vampires here. We don't really die that often. <laughs> are, you, are you leading a healthy lifestyle or are you just definitely, drinking, definitely. drinking white wine? 94 years old. My grandmother just died. 94. Her mother died at 105. So I'm hoping to go at 110. Okay, so you've got a few years to go, so you've got to pace yourself. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of years, but do love New Orleans, and I do love the <laughs> fact that, you know, when I came here, a lot of Honduranians here, 
people. Is that what you call them, Hondurans? Honduranian. Oh, I never heard that. Wow, Hondurans. 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 Yeah, not Hondurans, as we say. That's what I would have. That sounds good too. Hey, Marcel, what was Hondurans? is much better. Marcel, what was the first day you got here? January. 16th, 1966. And what happened that day? What were you doing? Mm, what was I doing? I went to Canal Street. Yeah. And I saw a lot of street vendors vending, uh, selling plums and apples and grape fruits. This is 1966. I was 1966. Fruit on and the uh, people had gloves. Uh, ladies had high heels, and gentlemen had hats nice, and, yeah. and uh, ties and coats. And what about you? I, and you every, just every, everyone was very slim and trim. There, there were well, not. This is different. Are you sure you went on something? No, there was no. <laughs> that, uh, in 1966, there were no fat people in America. Everybody was slip, slim and trim. They were impressive, you know, Americans were. Yeah. Yeah. What know, happened? I, I don't know what happened. McDonald's. Be, be, McDonald's. <laughs> I don't know was what that, happened. Was that before McDonald's? I don't know. I don't know. I think, when did McDonald's? I, I guess I think that, was, that was some 40 years ago. No. That's wow. when they had Coke and Coca-Cola, and everybody was drinking it and really get all yeah. done, burning off all the fat. But anyway, that was before the Po' Boys. <laughs> that was when there was cocaine and Coca-Cola still. Yeah. You know, I, that was before I, the, I, there was Po' Boys. I here. remember going to Canal Street my very first day. And then I went to the French Quarter, yeah. and I saw young ladies uh, doing striptease, and I went, wow. And I'm Bour Bourbon Street, Royal Street, the, all the antiques and all the... I was bewildered. I was like Alice in Wonderland. You know? Yeah. How, what were you and doing? then Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras the following month in, in February. And I, they, I, they threw moon pies from floats, right. you know. I said, <laughs> moon pies. I rode home. They threw, the Americans threw That's moon pies from floats. at me. Yeah. What were you doing here on January? I was studying. I came uh, here to school and uh, work. You know, I went to work. I had uh, jobs like... Did you go to Tulane here? No, I went to LSU. I, went to, you know, I, I got a degree from uh, University of Louisiana at Monroe, actually, in civil engineering. And then I moved, moved on to Europe, moved to Paris. But um, anyway, my stay in New Orleans was like f between 66 and 71. Well, great time. That was a good time. That was a good time. Did people get fatter between 66 and 71 or they were still gorgeous? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. But I remember the turmoil of the 60s, civil rights, uh, yeah. the struggles of the African-Americans. I remember uh, Dr. Martin Luther King being assassinated in 68 and then Robert Kennedy, you know, it was a mess. It was uh, difficult times as well. Yeah. I also remember the Summer of Love, 67, the Mamas and the Papas. Were you involved in the Summer of Love? Did you get any? I got involved <laughs> in civil rights. Civil rights, you weren't so much involved in love as, uh, as hate. Civil rights, you know. I got, I got to meet uh, Julian Bond, and uh, I got to meet... Uh, People that were. I, I got to meet Robert Kennedy. You you know? See, it's funny how people say that I got involved in civil. How do you just? How do you get involved in civil rights? What uh, well, did, I remember you're my a school, foreigner for a start. Uh, oh, we're humans. Yeah. You, we're, well, we don't have a. We don't have borders. You know, borders are artificial created. Do you have a birth certificate on you? I don't need one. I don't need a birth certificate. I'm a human being. I'm a citizen. Well, I only have your word. <laughs> but no, really. As, I mean, you're a foreigner. Did you have some sort of a, like a visa? Or in those days, what was the deal? It was very simple at the time, you know. It was like uh, I had a student visa at the time, but I was allowed to work in summertime. But what about getting involved as a political activist? You're talking about getting involved I've in civil been, rights. They didn't care. I don't, I don't need They haven't tried to kick you out of the country or anything. Uh, 
I've been kicked out of a couple of countries. Which, so I, which ones? Uh, you don't want to know. Yes, we do. <laughs> which ones? Honduras. Which one? You kicked out of... <laughs> Can't go home. Have you really been... Have you really been deported? Yeah, in Honduras, if you think like that and you express yourself like that, you're you get not even two in, days. Uh, I, 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 been, I was involved in Spain in, in the Franco days, you know, Mother with uh, organizing unions. I was organized... In, uh, in Nicaragua, and Honduras, and El Salvador, heavily involved in organizing co-ops, agricultural co-ops. Mm-hmm. You're, so you're, you have a, but you have a degree in engineering. How do you go from that to have being a, a social, socially have, conscious uh, activist? Uh, because I've been doing that since age 12. You know, mm-hmm. my, my father was involved in community organizing as well. So when you organize people, you can, you can create wealth. Okay, when, I mean, I don't want to make a, you know, go to, on about it too many times, but how do you get involved with it? I mean, well, I, I, I love to get involved with telling people what to do and making life better for people. How do you actually do that? You just ask people for help to improve or enhance the quality of life of others, period. But you're looking at something mm. that most people, and seeing something most people don't see, is that right? No, everyone can see that. Everyone has a, a bit, it's like a family, extended family. Okay, know? so I'm walking down the street and I see people who are homeless or whatever and I just go and on about my life, but you don't. Well, uh, I asked you for help. said, uh, what do you need? By helping others, you help yourself. You see, I believe that mm-hmm. there's an abundance of mm-hmm. health, an abundance of wealth, an abundance of love, just for the asking. Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all we need is to... The system, the economic system, wants us not to talk to each other. Like, I haven't seen Carolyn. Mm-hmm. I don't talk to her. I see Freddie Omar once in a while. I'm one of his fans, you know. But I don't go after uh, to talk to him. I said, Freddie, let's go for a cup of coffee. We don't do that because the system wants to separate. My job as a community activist, bring people together. I've been doing, like President Obama, he was a community organizer for a couple of years. I've been doing that since age 12. Mm-hmm. And there are many of us all over. Mm-hmm. And you're still doing it? Of course. Mm-hmm. I would I wouldn't know what else to do. You know, I'm more, I am more than a civil engineer. I'm a, I'm a historian. I'm a writer. I am a photographer. I am a, uh, a theologian. Uh, a I, theologian? I, 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 oh, I, now we're getting somewhere. I speak five languages. You know, I, I'm I'm father of four children. Uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a community. He's or, the man. Uh, you're a busy guy. I... I I don't have time for trivialities, you know. There's too much work to do and too much, yeah. too much fun to have. <laughs> mm. But you're making a difference. Uh, you do. You're having a radio program. Everybody, Freddie Everybody does, contributes you know. something. That's it's true. It's like a puzzle, you know. No one is the whole proprietor right. of the truth, you know. Everyone puts a little bit. Everybody's got a contribution to it. Well, I remember what he said about taking milk, uh, coconut to the community at age six. I mean, you just, uh, you kind of born with wanting to help. Like myself, I, I see a homeless person, especially when it's really cold, I'll go in the house and get all my blankets and let them have it. Thankfully, it's not cold that often, so you've still got some blankets. I actually call the Hispanic. I remember after Katrina coming back and uh, seeing a bunch of Latin guys out. You know, it was cold. I think it was Thanksgiving. It was like a little, like a year after Katrina or something. And I was living in Destin at the time because I didn't come right back afterwards. And there were these guys at the at the Lowe's over there on, uh, on Legion or somewhere. I saw a whole bunch of guys, and I was like oh, my God, these guys are freezing. They were just like all the Latin guys that came here to help rebuild the city. It was just like shivering, right? So 
I was like, I called the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and I'm like, how come you guys aren't going around giving these guys, you know, clothes like sweaters or and stuff like that, you know? And I mean, I realized that we're in a catastrophe zone in a, in a moment, and so I just called a couple of my friends and said, let's, you know, let's go. I know you guys have some old jackets and blankets and stuff. Let's go give these people some something to put on them. I mean, heck, you know, if you see a shivering dog in the street, you want to help it. You know, let's talk Why not about a human? let's talk about all these these people who have arrived here from Central America after Katrina in just a moment. But first, Freddie, I'm going to make you do something. Yes. What about singing something? Yeah, what about a song? We need yeah. to. I think yeah, we need our little break, something. don't you guys? Yeah, sure. Like it's lighten the mood a little bit, and then yeah. we'll come back to pain and suffering after that. <laughs> it's not pain; it's just helping, right? You guys are helping the community and stuff. Yeah, I want to go drink. Yeah. Well, we are. You're in a bar. You're allowed to have another drink. What are you drinking? Some sort of just some wine. Wine. Freddie, what are you thinking? Of? Should we try something live, or do you want uh, to hear something off your album, or what would you prefer? Whatever you guys want. Uh, you know. Uh, uh-huh. Let's do something live. You, you are okay. okay. Can we do that, Mitch Foreman? I'm ready. How about Bessame Mucho in E flat? Yes. Bessame. Bessame Mucho. Como si fuera esta noche la última vez. Bésame, bésame mucho. Que tengo miedo perderte, perderte después. Quiero tenerte muy cerca. Mirarte y sentirte tan dentro de mí Piensa que tal vez mañana Yo estaré muy lejos, muy lejos de ti Bésame Bésame mucho Como si fuera esta noche La última vez Bésame, bésame mucho Que tengo miedo perderte, perderte después Que tengo miedo perderte, perderte después Encore, okay. encore. Very nice. Mitch Foreman, beautiful. Have you guys got another song that we can do in a little bit? Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> okay. God, Mitch. I wish I could Mitch. sing. Yeah, now what do you think? How about that? You can just, uh, when did you first figure out you could sing like that? Yeah, like, uh, you know, at the bakery, uh, my dad, <laughs> you know, it was the time with the cassettes, you know, the 60 minute uh-huh. cassette yeah. thing. So my daddy, was, he would play like uh, this guy, this great uh, singer-songwriter from uh, Mexico, Jose Alfredo Jimenez, he's rancheras, right? So he, was, he would play um, 
the side A of the tape and after that side B and side A of the same tape and side B, <laughs> A, B, like for six hours and all the sudden I'll be like, ay, 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 singing, you know? And I'll know the songs and all that. And, Rancheras, uh, by the way, is like yeah, cowboy music. Yeah, it's cowboy, yeah, and uh, that's the way I started, you know? So you can thank your dad's obsessive compulsive Love of one guy. What what happened is like when you work for so many hours, you become kind of like delusional, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, the, the this guy, this guy yeah. who worked for my dad, you know, this this guy, he was like twenty something, and uh, you know, I was like I was like seven, you know, and uh, I would be working there, and the guy would <laughs> sing along with it, you know, mm -hmm. he would sing along, you know, right, and I would be like, uh, you know, it was like a, kind of like you have like uh, how do you say when you have like a crowd like a uh, uh, concert no no you have like a groupies uh, no 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 <laughs> it's like a crowd that he has to listen to you but they don't want to audience it was a captive audience uh, so yeah. you know so all of a sudden the guy will start singing and i will sing along with him right, because right, you know, right, i wanted right, a little right. bit of the spotlight too and uh, the guy who get upset because it was it was his show, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and my mom, he would be working with us. And he would say, "Honey, don't sing when he's singing because he doesn't <laughs> like it." And uh, yeah, but after a while, you know, like um, you know, with my my cousins, we would have we would play like air guitar and air drums and everything, and we we would. Uh, you know, fantasize about being uh, the Beatles, and you know, it's a very magical times. You know, mm. how did you go from singing in the bakery to actually getting a real gig, though? Were you, were you working as a musician in Honduras as well before you came here? Well, uh, what happened? Uh, you know, at one time at the grocery store across the street from the bakery was this talent contest where they were giving like uh, LPs, you know, mm. to some to the winner. Excuse me. So I, I went to the contest and I won. And after that, I, it was the first um, award I won. And after that, uh, at school, you know, like uh, when, I, when I was in high school, um, for me, music, it was easy. So um, at the music class, I would do the math uh, homework because I was, I used to, when, when you work, what? you did the math, you did your math homework in music class. In music class, That's a story yeah. I've what, ha what, what happened was that, you know, because Are you good at math? I, would go, I would go to school, I would go to school, and after that, I would go to work all night, so I didn't have time to actually do homework, you know? Right. So I would have to, like, uh, prioritize, you know, like if I have, like, some, some classes that they were kind of easier for me, I kind of would work a little bit on it, but I would try to do other work of other things. So you did your math homework and music class, but you never music became a mathematician, was, unfortunately. Mu music, it was easy for me, so I, when... when when uh, when the music class was, I would be like doing uh, well, that math. Would, that that would have been a good story if you'd become a mathematician. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Then we would have been, oh, my God, I did. I learned math in music class. And you know what happened? The, uh, the lady, she was very nice, my music teacher. She was, she was very offended when, uh, when she found out that uh, her class, I would do some other stuff. And, uh, what happened she, to her? She was, like, she was like, you know what? Now you're going to go in front of the whole class and sing <laughs> ah, as a punishment. <laughs> uh, that was gonna, you know, all of the song. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, okay, so you know, I have experience because I used to, you know, bakery. at the bakery, right? 
So I, I closed my eyes and I was like singing and all this. And all of a sudden, you know, like, like the whole thing changed at the class. Like, actually, people were paying attention to me. They'd be like, oh, <laughs> you know, this, wow, sing a song. And, then, you know, every time they would see me, they would ask me to sing. And after that, um, you know, that it was uh, this girl I used to like and she, from another class. And she wouldn't, you know, I was invisible. So, like, if I go to the talent contest, the singing contest, she's going to look at me, right? So I went to the, to the contest and, uh, yeah, it was true. And it worked. But after that, you know, it was like it was... <laughs> You know, when He's when you when you become when, when, when you become when you become popular, that's you know some something that it was unreasonable. It is. There are you know you can you know it was at the time you know it was like other girls that they were like actually like <laughs> it was like something impossible became possible and uh, you know so you have many options and uh, and I forgot about her you know and, uh, so what's it, what's it like being because now you're pretty famous in New Orleans what's I'm very it? popular here uh, yeah you're a star here you, you, you know uh, when I was singing in Honduras you know I, I, I was recording I was a recording artist I was on TV in Honduras and this guy one time at the uh, at the park, he was like, he he has this Andino music is like a South American group, and they were singing at the park on the street, and this guy said, um, if you go to New Orleans, you know you're gonna become very, you know people are gonna love you there. There are like wow. uh, thousands of Hondurans. They are like, I don't know how many they. He said like two hundred thousand, some crazy number of Hondurans, <laughs> right? He said you're gonna you're gonna do great there. Why you don't go? So anyway, he said, I'll, we are going over there if you want to go with us. So, you know, um, so I was like, I don't lose anything if I just hang out with this dude, you know. And I just, the worst thing that can happen is that it is not happening, you know. So I start going to the meetings with him and, and the whole thing. And all the sudden, you know, I'm in the embassy, you know, and uh, and on an airplane and I'm in New Orleans wow. and, and New Orleans was like uh, you know coming here it was like incredible it was like all these parties everyone is just thinking about what the next party is and they still are and uh, <laughs> you know and all the time I'm like wow this is great you know and uh, he were you, was he were, you, were you popular immediately as soon as you started playing no here? with the Hondurans you know I, 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 I'm more pop I'm a crossover guy you right. know like it's my, the people go to you like Beyonce to my thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like uh, Cubans and uh, all kind of because what I play is salsa and merengue and, and uh, it's a it's a mix of everything Latin jazz and all that and uh, uh, actually like the Honduran crowd they want like uh, Garifuna music they want Punta because they are mm -hmm. from up north mm -hmm. well uh, actually you know, how many Hondurans are there here in New Orleans I mean I didn't realize that but until, a lot. until today there's a big I don't Honduran know the numbers population. though people talk about 100,000 100,000 Hondurans mm -hmm. in New Orleans there mm -hmm. were more before Katrina oh, though. 1 million in the states 1.2 million in the United States and 10% of them are in, here in New Orleans mm, that right. seems like a large concentration of Hondurans you think mm -hmm. you think they would be more visible that's not a very visible community is it well, actually, they're in Kenner, West Bank. 
Yeah. Mm, they are very visible in the construction trades. Most of the uh, construction work is done by Hondurans. Plus, there are a lot of doctors and lawyers. and I mean, there, you wouldn't even know some folks are from Honduras. You know? I, I wouldn't. I mean, not everybody. You mean because they don't look <clears throat> different or because they don't have an accent? or a, a lot of that. A lot of them are like third and fourth generations, you know. Are you, still, Hon- are you still a Honduran? What's the word? Honduranian. Honduranian, if you're a third or fourth generation. That's an American thing that you say, I'm Irish or I'm Honduran or something. If you Yeah. You're, you're, you know, I, I could say I'm from Honduras. And I'm Honduran. Well, you are from Honduras, right? Though, so and, that would be but if my nephews, my nephews that are born in America, don't say I'm from Honduras. But do they still say that they? They don't even say they. They don't. They're Americans. As they, they don't mention any. They, they don't even know Honduras. Well, don't let them run for president. So they're American. <laughs> but they are American. But we'll get them to forge a. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but 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 that, are you including that hundred thousand people who were born here as well? And they're just their parents. No, one point two million Hondurans born in Honduras and who have emigrated have, to the United States. They have had to come here because of the wars in Central America, uh-huh. mostly economic um, economic hard So let's talk about the influx of Central Americans that arrived in New Orleans after Katrina, because that's when I first became aware of people speaking Spanish on the streets here in New Orleans. Well, and a lot of Mexicans and, and, uh, and Nicaraguan and, and um, not just Honduran, but a lot of Central American uh, people from Central America, not just Honduras, came down here. But they, a lot of them were already in the States illegally. Illegally. Some of them, you know. Um, but um, Well, that's right. But it's people not, came here for, to, to build houses after everything was destroyed here. And has that, I mean, ha, are you aware of that? As an entertainer, Sophie, um, are you aware of more people? Yeah, uh, you know, like, it's very interesting how I see now, you know, like, uh, you, wh- when I came back after the storm, it was like, it was so uphill, and, uh, you know, and I saw how... Taco trucks. How, how, how the, the taco trucks and all this okay. stuff. And I believe, you know, that, that it was a very nice thing to see, like, people, because, uh, like he said, you know, we are here... And we're just human beings, and uh, you know, like. Uh, and we like uh, tacos. We, you know, we label things, and um, over there, you know, when we have a hurricane and we have people, they just go and clean the thing and just rebuild and stuff like that because it's like a dance of life. It's like they don't have things, anywhere to run to. Things happen. You have to stand up and 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 keep going, and uh, you know. So here it was the city was defeated. And, and no one had to work because everything here is a, is a process. It's like the insurance and this. And, and over there, it's not like that. You just go and work. You don't even have to have gloves. And I saw, like, people, you know, like, all these Spanish people working. And, you know, and after that, when their city was rebuilt, you know, and... and they kicked and them out. Kicked <laughs> them out, you know. And how, how, What do you mean by kick them out? How do you, how do you get... Well, we started noticing the, all the illegals yeah. here then. I don't like the term illegal. You know, nobody's illegal. They're undocumented workers. You know, they work. They work hard. Right. Uh, there's no way that um, people can compete against these workers. You know, they're young. They're healthy. They're extremely talented. They are superbly gifted. If you see them on top of roofs, mm. you know, uh, two guys build a roof in two days. You know, 
Uh, yeah, they, we uh, saw that after the storm. There was there was a right. swarm they're, of these guys who were ex- working like they're, they're extremely like, the work ethics is yeah. is uh, impressive. So what happened as a political activist? I mean, as a community well, activist, what we, happened after the storm? Did did people really? Did the government or did the city really move to kick people out? Uh, well, no. It was more like a national mood as the deep crisis of two thousand and eight uh, created a lot of unemployment people started to worry about and the most vulnerable sector are the undocumented workers you know they don't have a lobbyist in washington or anything like that so our job today is through organizations um, to link and to let them know many of these guys have been working here for 10 20 years paying taxes with american-born children who are 20 years old who have gone to elementary school here high school here they have been renting they have been uh, paying taxes this is here in new orleans we're uh, talking about all over the nation but especially in new orleans yeah. so it is quite unfair to after after the city of new orleans was rebuilt with their efforts mostly you know being deported today, you know, after all but, that massive contribution to society. And deported sick. But, but, but I believe that, you know, that I don't I don't take it that personal, you know, that that uh, how how the system worked, that, you know, that you had to follow a process. But it was this situation, it was just such a, uh, you know, it was such a different situation, you know, like these people, they were helping out. And, um, you know, and politically, you know, sometimes you can have, have a little break, you know, and say, okay, these guys, they did this. And if they can prove, I guess, if they were a part of the rebuilding, let's give them like amnesty, maybe like a, a year of just hanging out here or something. Some kind of give like a thank you note, you know. Uh, just like, a work permit, yeah, you know. Some little, mo- mo- some little thing saying I, thank you, you know. I, I, I spent all my uh, youth in Europe. I remember the Portuguese and the Spaniards. Uh, Spain and Portugal and Greece were lagging way behind compared to Denmark or Germany or Sweden. And what was designed there was like an accordion policy, you know. The northern, more developed countries would absorb that labor. They would need that labor. But then they would be allowed, they would be granted work permits. And they would be, um, they would go back and see their families in wintertime. Uh, They would go back to Portugal, Spain, Italy, and Greece. And then in summertime, they would go and work. And that way, uh, pretty soon, within, not soon, but within 30 years, the southern European countries have finally caught up with the northern countries. Probably the United States, when it achieves a level of maturity, political maturity, and they can have a healthy debate on a comprehensive immigration reform, they might achieve that, order, trans, that orderly transition. Like how how your, far your, away do you think an orderly debate on immigration reform is in the United States? Oh well, at the moment, um, the most conservative uh, Americans uh, uh, consolidated in uh, the Tea Party and the extreme right wing of the Republican Party. They are heavily opposed to it. Um, I don't know if that's possible at the moment, but I think uh, a second Obama administration might be in a better position to promote. Well, it was, uh, comprehensive it was a uh, immigration reform. It was a Republican president, President Bush, who actually tried to instigate immigration reform, and he was uh, He did it half-heartedly, and he was heavily opposed by a minority, a vocal minority. I think most Americans uh, tend to 
you know, give me your poor, give me your tired, give me your huddled masses. That's the Statue of Liberty yeah. motto. Now it seems to be, give me your rich, give me your highly educated. It, 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 is, it has quite changed. It has. And do you think that it's going, I mean, from your position, when you're, when you're, you're talking about working with people who are still the, the huddled masses, as it were, what, what, what future for them do you see? I see a bright future. You know, you, you see in this table three Hondurians. <laughs> yeah. This is it. This is what we bring to a new country. You know, we bring fresh enthusiasm, yeah, optimism. How, we we how, bring skills. We bring but you came, uh, creativity. You came at a time when uh, people were still skinny on Canal Street. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you grew up in Boston, Carolina. And, yes, I and flew Freddie, in on Pan Am. Yeah, now how did you get here? I mean, did you have some sort of a work visa or you... I have like an artistic visa. <laughs> you, you're here on an artist visa still? Uh, artist visa. So this, no. is, this is the three different times of, that people have arrived but, here. But we're it's not, a lot more difficult we, now. We are not the exception to the rule. We are the rule. People from all over the world, they're extremely talented, extremely gifted. And um, uh, if you adopt a reasonable, a rational immigration policy, it will benefit the country. We pay taxes, we create jobs. Most of Latinos here have their own two or three employees, small companies, we're entrepreneurs. Nothing but good things will come to America if they open, they have a more open, a more, more open-minded policy. Well, basically, all you have to do is legalize the people who are here already, and that would be the end of the problem. President Reagan did in the 1980s, you know, he did that. And I think there was a great economic uplift after that. But you don't think, like, right now is, uh, you know, if, if it's a business, you know, like if the country's a business, and uh, the country's in the red, so it's not working. No, not right <laughs> Well, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of money. It's just not evenly spread around because we don't have that system. It was working before, like before Americans, uh, they used to go to Europe all the time and have these big vacations and cruise ships and stuff like that. And that was the past. And, and Europeans now, are suffering too. Now, so there is something that is not working. And, and um, I think that the advantage of the American culture is that it's so many resources, so many books, people I like to read a lot, people that are not happy, you know, like especially... Here, if the money is not right, people are not happy about it, and I think that that's gonna make a big difference because you know affect the wallet of everyone. People that are not having the expensive trips and the expensive this and expensive that. I include myself. Like before. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I own a house in Atlanta that, that that I bought with my my husband that I'm separated with now. But you we, you got you, you got the house. Yeah. But but Good but guy. I'll tell you what happened to that house. It depreciated with the market forty fifty thousand dollars less. So I can't go out and take a you know refinance ten ten twenty thousand dollars so I could take a trip to Europe, which I would love to be able to do, or go to Honduras and finish building a house on my property. You know, which is why you, you have know, property I said, in Honduras and in Atlanta. Yes, so but is, the house in Atlanta is, is worth. Dream here. Like I told a friend of mine, it's worth nothing, and he said, "What do you mean it's it's worth something? You have it, but to me, it's worth nothing because I can't get anything out of it." You know, but I'm grateful to have it because you know I think back, you know, from Honduras, and but we've, I've I wasn't I don't never felt like I didn't have you know until now I feel the poorest I've ever felt in my life. 
Are you, in fact, you know? the poorest you've ever been in your life? Though, you yeah, know? right now. It's like, <laughs> Even the, you own they, a house, they, why don't you sell the house? But I, don't li- I live here. I don't, I'm renting the house, but I'm not. In other words, I'm not getting anything out of it. So to me, it has no value. I don't. I, I, Are you just as me, happy now that you're the poorest you've ever been in your life? Or is that not really true? Sometimes. No, not really, because I still have to pay taxes and, you know, pay the mortgage on the house. And, you know, but I'm not able to go to Honduras this year like I wanted to and, and start working on building this house. So, I mean, I'm affected by the economy just like everybody else. But I should be grateful, and I am grateful, because some people lost it all. And they don't yeah. have it to be bitching about. Excuse my English. But, you know. And I should be glad that, you know, being that I am from Honduras, um, you know, being able to accomplish one of the American dreams is to, you know, be able to have, own, have ownership of, um, um, in this country. And even, like, you know, I, I, I have my little side gig as a fashion designer. I'm going to start teaching sewing uh, at the Healing Center in May. But, you know, I have a lot of great opportunities. But sometimes you think back, oh, my God, these, this the economy, everything, and you can be so hard on yourself. And you don't think about, again, like the undocumented workers and people that are really suffering and have it hard, you know, the elderly, the poor, the sick. Well, and you can hang out that, with myself so. and... Yeah. Help out the <laughs> well, you, you see, when you go and help others, you forget about your own problems, yeah. and then by magic, you get it tenfold, hundredfold back. I ha- I invest heavily. Most of my time is not compensated with real money. It's compensated with uh, more than that. Money's like crumbs compared to the real spiritual banquet. You know, when you get fellowship, you get uh, standing in the community. Mm-hmm. You get you make a phone call and you talk to. President Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalie, invited me to their home about a year and a half ago mm. to have dinner with them. And they cooked. Mm. So immigrants oh. like me don't end up like yeah. with presidents. You <laughs> That's know. cool. President, President Rub some Carter of that off cooked, on me. President Correct. Carter cooked dinner for you. Right. What do you make? Chicken? Fish. Fish. Very nice. <laughs> I'm wow. over Okay, hey, listen, you guys, we have to, uh, we have to, we're out of time here. Oh, oh, I Can forgot you, I have an event to go to. You do? What are you doing next? <laughs> I'm going to the Bell Gallery. They're um, having a little block party out there. They do it every year. D-Rock, the Reggae Revealers are out there playing live. Who is? And they're having a huge block party. Reggae Revealers on... Where would that be? On Royals, on Charter Street. It's going to be right now. Let's go about seven. Let's go. Marcel's up for going. Um, Marcel's getting excited. What are you yes. doing tonight? Party. Tonight, tonight, I'm going to actually singing here uh, at the from eight to eleven. Yes, ah, and and, and tomorrow. Let's do both. Yeah, let's do Freddie Omar. Yes. Let's do the party. And tomorrow I'm playing at Mojitos with my full band. Tonight here is usually just a guitar and uh, you know like. Uh, are you, like soft, are you going to be at music. Jazz Fest? But tomorrow, yeah, Jazz Fest is on Sunday. I'm playing the Acura stage. I'm jealous. Yeah. I couldn't even afford to go to yeah. Jazz Fest. For the first time in 14 years, I'm not oh, going to Jazz baby. Fest. Oh. That's oh. terrible. No not even one, pass. Not even one day. No. I mean, the next year, I'm going to do a free festival at Washington Park. I yes. Think, mm-hmm. during you're going to stay your own free fest. festival. I am. Let's look out for that. That would be a great idea. Sort I, of I a, thought about it last night. I'm going to propose it. You just to came up with the idea last Parks night for like a, a a free festival for everybody next year. At Jazz Fest for locals who weekends. don't want to pay sixty dollars to get into the Jazz and Heritage. They're, they're going to love it. They are. Yep. That's going to work. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias por todo. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been fantastic to have you. Thank you. This is fun. I it's want to come back. Great. Come on, let's do it again. <laughs> Hasta la victoria so siempre. <laughs> My special guests today have been Carolina Gallup. Marcel Rivera 
and Freddie Omar, the producers of our show, are Melinda Hawes, Trish Kaufman, Ali Duffy, Nicole Howard. And the piano man. And the executive producer of the show is Tanya Castellanos, also from Honduras, by the way. Our musical director is Christian Andrew, the web designer, and our link to the real world for everything you're hearing and seeing is Cliff Brigden. Our piano theme is written and being played currently by Mitch Foreman back in our studios. If you'd like to be on the show, drop us a line here at itsneworleans at gmail.com. We do this every week on Thursdays at the Collins Hotel, 3811 St. Charles Avenue. A great place to come and have a cocktail with us or with your actual friends. Or come and stay here if you're on the way to New Orleans. It's going to be a great couple of weeks. This is the sort of day in New Orleans that people come here and they go for jazz fish and they go, oh, what an amazing, what an amazing place I'm going to move here. And then they realize it's 95 degrees and 100% humidity. For <laughs> I feel about like I'm in six Honduras. Months of the year. Check out our <laughs> other shows on our website. There's tons more happy hours to listen to. And check out Psychboard and our other new shows we're putting up on itsneworleans.com. We'll see you next time on Happy Hour. And then, until then, thanks for listening. I'm Grant Morris.